From Impact Fashion, it's Be Impactful, a show about the women making a difference in their own corners of the world. I'm Rifki Itzkowitz, and on today's show, a three-time cookbook author tells me about how she learned to cook, what really goes into making a cookbook, and the mistakes that got printed into her most recent one. absolute honor and pleasure of dressing Miriam Pascal for the launch party of More Real Life Kosher Cooking, her third cookbook. Let me tell you, she is so great. We connected instantly on a whole ton of levels, and this chat was a great way for me to ask her some of my most boring and pressing questions about how a cookbook comes together. Miriam is a little kid. Um, I guess you want to know because of what I do if I used to help my mother in the kitchen. That is my next question. Okay. Well, um, I did. I definitely have early memories in the kitchen with my mother. Um, I wasn't like one of those kids that like, you know, go on MasterChef Junior that's cooking gourmet dinners for their family at like seven years old. That's not me. (laughs) Um, But I definitely helped my mother in the kitchen, I have memories of like braiding her challah dough because my mother is not so, um, you know, she does, she's not as fanatic as I am. So I was like, I'm a little OCD about the way I do things with my hands like that. So my mother used to let me braid the challah dough. Um, so that was like a win for, for both of us. Um, <laughs> she gets I, the job done and you get to enjoy like just braiding yeah. it and having it be perfect and beautiful. Yeah. So I remember doing that pretty young. Um, but also in general, I, I definitely just remember that like my parents were very creative cooks and they were, I mean, my mother specifically, like she would just play around in the kitchen and come up with things that we would be like, whoa, that's so cool. Like, how'd you think of that? Or, wow, I've never thought of doing that before or anything like that. So it was very natural for me when I started. I was just like, this is how people cook. I didn't even realize as a kid that the way my mother cooked um, in a very creative way, but also like that she never followed a recipe, that she would go to a restaurant, taste something, and then go home and recreate it. I didn't even realize as a kid that that wasn't the norm. That was just, you know, how people are, right? Because all you know is what your parents do. Right, <laughs> exactly. And, then, um, and to me and you're talking now, and I'm like, that sounds like a superpower. Because I have no skill in the kitchen whatsoever. And that's like... Right. Well, my mother is amazing. Um, But especially like with restaurants where she could taste things and she'll concentrate and then she'll be like, I taste this and that. And then she'll go home and she'll make it. And it's not always exactly the same. I mean, it's never exactly the same. But it's not always really similar, but it's always incredible. Um, And I totally thought that was normal. And everything else that I grew up with because that's how kids are. And then I got a little older and I was like, oh, hey, like other mothers don't do that. (laughs) I learned that that was not the norm, but that definitely set the tone for how I started to do what I do because it was just the natural way that we do things in my family. Right. And can you just tell me a little bit more about what you do for someone who might not know? (laughs) Um, So I have a blog, which is really how everything started, called Overtime Cook. Um, The name actually comes from when I started, I was working full-time, I was commuting, 
And then when I got home, I was cooking and baking like very late at night. <laughs> um, so that was my, my um, name, Overtime Cook. But what happened was that even when this became my full-time job, I, I considered briefly changing it because I said it doesn't really represent who I am anymore. But um, I, it really does because ultimately, you know, not only me, but my followers, what relate, what people relate to is that idea that we all are busy. We all have so much going on and cooking when you have all day is a different ball game from cooking when you have just a few minutes to throw it together and get it ready. And so even though I, this is my full-time job now, I have so much going on, thankfully that I have I still don't have a ton of time to be in the kitchen tinkering with all kinds of um, crazy things. I still have to keep it simple. And so um, I still feel that Overtime Cook represents what I do. Um, but then it, it, so the website is what started it all. Um, and then it snowballed from there into a magazine column um, with Mishpacha magazine, which is one of the leading kosher magazines, um, and now three cookbooks. Oh, yeah. We're going to talk about those three cookbooks. <laughs> because to me, the the idea of writing a cookbook, aside from just sounding like torture, because again, I don't cook. We've spoken about this before. And I'm like, you, I am in awe of what you do. And you always respond back that you're in awe of what I do. And I'm like, yeah, but what I do is not that exciting. What you do, you make food and people eat that. And that's like, the most incredible thing to me. Um, what, how did, well, the first cookbook was something sweet, right? Yes. Okay. So yes, my kind of cookbook, first of all. Um, you like to bake? Oh, no, I don't like to bake, but I like to eat it. Oh, okay. Got it. Got it. Yeah. No, I don't like to do anything. I like to go to a restaurant is what I like to do. Um, yeah. It's anyone who knows me knows that. And, and I, and I've said this like all the time to my mom, to my husband, to whatever. I was like, we don't need a cleaning lady. I need a private chef. That's, that's what I need. Like, I don't need someone to clean my house. I'm good. I've got that. I need someone to make me supper. That's what I need. Yeah, so I'm the opposite. <laughs> I can all day as long as someone will clean up after me. <laughs> so we should trade. You should make supper yeah. for me and I will, and I will, you know, you make both of our suppers and I will clean our houses and then, and then we're good. And then we're set. Sounds like a plan. <laughs> there you go. As, if only we lived closer to each other. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but how did the first... How do you, how do you write a cookbook? Like, how does that, how does that happen? How does that become a thing? Okay. Wow. Um, I know that's a very general question, but. No, no, it, it's a long process. I, I don't know if you meant for a long answer or a short answer, but I'll give you the long No, answer. I want to know every detail. I am so curious about like how something becomes a thing in a bookstore. Seriously. Okay. So the first step is, I mean, it doesn't have to be. Some people will, will write the book and then look for a publisher. But for me, the first step was to, um, write a proposal and submit it to my publisher of choice, which was Artscroll, which is the top publisher of kosher cookbooks. So I had my eyes set on them um, from the minute I thought about writing a cookbook. I actually rejected offers from other places because this was just, I always knew that Artscroll was the, my, my publisher of choice. So I approached them with a proposal and um, which basically outlined the book, um, what I was going to be doing in it, what kind of recipes I was going to be featuring, what was going to make it different, how I was going to be selling it, um, meaning how I was going to be promoting it and marketing it, and um, sample recipes, sample photos, stuff like that. Um, 
And once they approved it and they gave me a timeline. So I think that's one of the things a lot of people don't realize is that it's not like, okay, whenever you're done, then it gets published. They have a schedule. They only publish a few cookbooks per year and they have a schedule. And this is when you are getting published. And it's not like you can go back later and be like, oh, hey, I need a little more time. Can I have an extra month? It doesn't work that way because the cookbook has to be in stores at very, very specific and planned times. It's not, it's never just like, oh, whenever it's ready and whenever they finish printing it, that's when it comes out. It's planned to be around seasonal. So the the most popular time for cookbooks is is like the fall, which is good for like, you know, Hanukkah and gift season in general. Um, but there's they time it to other holidays as well. Um to maximize selling potential. So they give me a timeline and they say, okay, um, in that case, and for my first book, they said it's going to come out in August 2015, which was before, you know, Rosh Hashanah, um, when people would be doing a lot of baking. So it was a good time frame. Um, and so my next step was to create an outline, which I had done a basic version of for my proposal, but um, really i think this is probably the part that would surprise people the most is that i don't have okay i would say that i spend probably almost as much time working on my outline as i do working on almost anything else what are you looking for in a good outline like so, what is something that you want to make sure like why are you spending so much time on that right so to me, and again, I think I overthink it because I overthink everything, <laughs> um, but I do think it's one of the reasons people love my books. Um, the issue is having a really well-rounded cookbook. And so what I do is I say, I don't want to have, for example, we're talking about something sweet. So I'll, I'll use sweets as an example. I don't want to have a book full of way too many cookie recipes and then not enough other things, just for example. Um, cookies happen to be something I love to make. I can make a cookie recipe up in half a second. I barely need to try it to know that it will work. I just, that comes so naturally to me. So I can get carried away and say, oh, let's have 10 more cookie recipes. But, you know, the book has to be well-rounded. So I spent a really long time figuring out the chapters, how I was going to divide it up. Um, again, with something sweet, it was a little more complicated because it wasn't something that, um, there aren't really many kosher dessert cookbooks. It wasn't like a standard cookbook. There's a lot of templates to follow, you know, having a chapter for appetizers and salads and soups and mains and sides and desserts. Like there's a pretty basic template that everybody uses. With desserts, I was really starting from scratch because like, I don't know, how do I divide it up? So I spent a long time on the division of chapters. And then this is the next thing I think people don't understand about, about a cookbook. And again, it could be different with other publishers, but the way it works with Artscroll when they're publishing a cookbook is they tell you, this is the price point we set for the book. And based on that price point, this is how many pages the book is going to have. Now, I'm you don't so glad that you mentioned that. I'm so, so glad that you mentioned that because that's so similar to what I do with design. A lot of people don't realize that when you when you have a specific price point that you want to set at the beginning, that then dictates you know what fabric you can use, what how complicated the design can be, and all of that. So it makes perfect sense to me that you only get a certain number of pages in your exactly. cookbook. Exactly. So you can't go crazy with the pages because then they'd have to charge more, and they really have it set. They have this is the price point that works for cookbooks. So um, 
they gave me a number of pages. I actually don't remember what it was for something sweet, but for my next two cookbooks, I believe it was 304 pages. Um, and that brings me to Jeez, another- that specific. Yeah, so it actually goes in multiples of either eight or 16, I can't remember. Um, oh, I think it's 16, just from my last cookbook. No, cookbook, lookbook. <laughs> Yeah, so, from so the last lookbook that I had printed, it needed to be in multiples of 16. Right. So definitely 16 makes sense. It's possible they could do it in multiples of eight. I remember it was a question. So I don't know if, if they can reduce it to multiples of eight. But yeah, you have multiples of, let's say, 16. So that's another thing that people don't realize. It's not like they say 304 and I say, okay, but I need 307 pages because that's where I'm up to. It's like, no, if it's not 304 then it has to be 320 because you have to go another 16 pages. And similarly, if it's not, you know, you can't say, oh, I only have 300 pages to fill. Then you have to have four empty pages. You can't just choose the number of pages. It has to be exact. Right. So what I do with those pages is that I go, um, I divide up my book. So I divvy up those pages between some for front matter, which is like the introduction, the table of contents, the acknowledgements, some for back matter, which is like the index. And I usually have a Passover guide for my recipes, um, like which recipes can be used on Passover. I only just uh, found that literally this week. Oh, I was I was planning out my, um, like what my supper or my Shabbos or whatever, I don't even remember um, for the week. And I'm always using, um, especially the new one, um, the second, the more real life kosher cooking. And then right. I was looking for something in the index because there was a specific recipe. The spice rubbed chicken, amazing. Takes five seconds. Yeah, Tastes so good. Last night for supper. Oh my gosh, so yummy. Lo like love, love, love. My husband loves it. My, like, my family loves it. Everyone loves it. Um, so I was looking for the exact page of the recipe. And then in the back, I was like, oh, Passover guide. This is exciting. I didn't yeah. know that was a thing. Yeah, and I work really hard on that because I want people to be able to use the cookbook all year round, not only, you know, that even for a week, they shouldn't, they shouldn't have to put it away. Right. <laughs> um, but I, um, yeah, so that's, so that's like the back matter, which I, I allocate pages for. Um, then there's also the chapter divider pages, which are, you know, those pages in between. And then once I take all that away, I say, okay, how many pages are left? Um, and that's then divided by two, because each pay, each recipe is a spread because there's a photo for every recipe. So I say, okay, now how many pages are left? Divide that by two. That's how many recipes I can have in my book. So then <laughs> um, what I do is I say, all right, how many of those are going to be in chapter one, which is in my book, Breakfast and Bread? How many are going to be in chapter two, which is Appetizers and Snacks? How many in chapter three? And so on. That way um, I can make sure the book is well-rounded because, again, I can you know, get sidetracked and have way too many chicken recipes because those are always popular and I love to make those. They're easy. I make a different chicken every night. So I can put a ton of chicken recipes in. But then I say to myself, but what if I'm looking for a really easy side dish? I need to have plenty of those also. And what if I want to make something more elaborate for a holiday meal, you know? So I have to really, really make sure that I have a good number of each type of recipe. So I really spend a long time figuring out not only how many pages to allocate to each chapter, but then what type of recipes within each one. So for example, let's say with salads, 
how many recipes are going to be lettuce salads, how many recipes are going to be salads that are have like chicken or meat to make it into a full meal, how many recipes are going to be like a green salad like quinoa, and how many recipes will be more of like a, a dip kind of thing, like a spread, I would say, you know, and I have to divide it up and make sure that I have enough of each one. So I hope I'm not boring you. I am but fascinated by this. Okay. So the no, seriously, I'm genuinely fascinated. And it's, and it's, I know it's so easy to think when you, when you're talking about what it is that you do and cause this is your job. Right. And it's right, like, right. listen, if my husband would talk about his job, he's an accountant. <laughs> I have about mm, maybe, maybe like five minutes of attention span and then it all becomes numbers and jumbles and I'm not interested, but you have a cool job and I'm so interested in, in how this happens and how it comes together. So after you have all of your recipes and then you divide them up and you decide, you know, what goes where are you, when you're doing that, are you taking recipes that already exist or are you just saying, I need 10 chicken recipes and then you go and you make 10 chicken recipes? So it's a combination, about 10, maybe 15% of the recipes are recipes that were either on my blog or in my magazine column that were really, really popular. And I feel like when I have a real winner that everybody goes crazy over, I don't want to, I don't, I want that to be in the book because, you know, people, I know it's going to be a winner. And what's an example have, of a recipe like that? Um, what's an example of a recipe like that? Let's say the honey garlic chicken fingers yum um they're baked not fried they're incredibly delicious they really were viral when i put them on my blog and i said you know what that's a recipe that belongs in the book so i use that but i only do and my publisher really is pretty pretty into this that i really only do about 10 percent of recipes that are on my website because why would someone buy the book if everything's available right. online for free? Right, right, of course. So what I do is um, I pick some of the most popular ones and I plug those in. And that's usually a good starting point. I plug in the ones that I know will be in the book. And then I start putting in, okay. So again, I overthink this and I, I really go crazy a little bit. But what I do is I start to put in a type of recipe so for example and i i wish i could show i wish this was like a video so i could show you although i don't know that i have it saved because i work in google docs so it gets updated along along you know as i go right but what i do is for example i put in chicken on the bone braised on the stove into my outline so that's not a recipe that's just like i need a recipe for a for chicken that you could braise on the stovetop because when someone comes to me and says oh my oven I can't use my oven right now I want a good recipe for that I say oh here's that here go make the whatever that recipe is and in my last cookbook for example it's the braised onion chicken it's incredible but the point is I put in the category of the recipe and then that gives me a point to, to think of and I say okay now I'm make, I know I'm making a chicken that's braised on the stovetop what are we doing with it and I do that for like a lot of things. So let's say in the breakfast chapter, I'll put in like waffles, pancakes, and then I go back and I say, all right, let's think of a waffles recipe. Let's think of a pancakes recipe. Um, and so that I, as I go, and that takes a very long time. Um, so as I, I come up with recipe ideas and I plug them in and then I try them and I take them out sometimes if I come up with a better one, because again, space is limited. It's not like, oh, 
I have a great steak recipe in the book, but now I came up with a new steak recipe that's better. I'll do both. I can't do that unless I take something else out, which again, I have done. But for the most part, I say, which is a better recipe, which are people going to like more? And I have to choose one. Right. So that is a very, very long process. And then once I'm doing that, that's when I really start with working on the recipes, which, you know, is really just a matter of planning what I'm going to do, figuring it out. Then as I go, I make adjustments. I write everything down. And then I test it. I retest it. I test it some more. When it's perfect, um, you know, it goes into the folder. Write it all up, goes into the folder, and then, you know, repeat times 150. Oh, my God. And And then rinse and repeat. I have a rude question that you can feel free not to answer. But when you're testing recipes, um, are you paying for the ingredients or does the publisher like comp you for that? Or is that just all out of your own pocket? And feel free not to answer Um, because this is a rude question. Right. So, I mean, it's there is definitely different ways that different publishers do it. Um, In general, most publishers will offer an advance, which you can which oh, are okay. using to cover the ingredients but different publishers do it differently and the amount you get is different and it's basically off of your royalties which is how you make money from a cookbook so right. you know whatever money you get the, before you start earning royalties they take that off um but it's all business expense at the end of the day there's a huge True. amount of money that goes into producing a cookbook i mean oh, just the ingredients so, yeah, 150 I mean, recipes and you're talking about like chicken and meat and all of that right. And it's not 150 because I'm sure that there are some that die on the stovetop. Um, absolutely. And then also don't forget for the photo shoots, you're making everything again. Sometimes oh more God. than once. It doesn't look perfect. My people who worked for me know that I was very, very picky. I've worked and with you, so I know that you're not lying. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean specifically for the photo shoots. I, like, right. If I didn't like something, we remade it. We would remake it two, three times if I didn't like it. And sometimes I would say I'm doing it myself because I want it to look exactly a certain way. Um, but yeah, things would, you know, and I mean, ingredients alone, like you said, it's so much food and people think like, oh, cool. Well, you get to eat it. And that's true. Except that like, sometimes, you know, you're working in a cookbook, you're making 10 things in a day. You have no use for 10 things. So right. what do you do at the food? Definitely ate very well. Like your friends? <laughs> yeah. My family, friends. I mean, I had days where like all my siblings didn't have to cook dinner that night because I had a different dinner for each of them. That's awesome. Yeah. Most of the photo shoots when we were going like really intense, 10, 12, 15 things a day. Right. So, and then, and then I'm assuming that the end of the story is that, you know, you shoot it, you submit it to the publisher, you make all your edits, the recipes get tested and it gets released into the world. Um, yeah. So basically they, they do the layout. Um, we do a lot of testing, retesting. I have volunteer recipe testers who sign up to make the recipes. So every recipe is made not only a couple of times by me, plus, and I would say 98% of the cases made by someone else in my own kitchen for the photo shoot. Um, there were one or two things I made myself just because that's how it worked out. Um, but then in addition, they were all made by someone else so that I know the recipes really, really work as written because that's the most important to me. Right. That's, that's the point of the cookbook. And I can say again, as someone who doesn't cook, but who does use your books, they're really easy to follow. Like even more so than I think most other books that, that I have, because it's, it's also, it's, I remember even speaking about you with this when we were working on, um, on your dress for the launch party, that like, if I had a question, it was in the book. It was like, if, if there was something I was like, wait, I don't know what to do with this pan now. You're like, look back at the book and it says, 
you know, take the pan and put it back on the stove. You're like, okay, I can do that. I know, I know how that works. So I try really, really hard to give like visual cues. Sometimes when I feel like people might think something's wrong with the recipe, I'll write it in. Like the batter will be lumpy at this point and that's fine. Right. I don't want people to panic and think like, oh, I must've done something wrong. So I try to give visual cues, you know, give time ranges for things and give you more um, details and how things should look and feel and whatever to make sure that you're really having success. And people tell me, and this is my happiest feedback, is that when people tell me that their little kids, like seven, eight years old, are cooking for my books, and I'm, it, it makes me so happy because, you know, the books obviously are good for people who are more advanced in the kitchen. But when I write recipes, I try to write them in a way that anyone can follow them, regardless of their skill level. And that's so, so important to me. So I really love to get feedback, like what you're saying, that, you know, you can follow the recipes easily. That Oh, yeah. Simple. Listen, if I can do it, any eight-year-old can do it. 100% no question about it. <laughs> How long does this process take from, like, when you submit um, to a publisher until it's on a bookshelf? Um. So my most recent cookbook, I, it took me just about two years, Jeez. really about two years for all of them, but it's, it sounds like a good amount of time. It's so short. It's like, I can't even explain how intense it is to be working on a cookbook, like just start to finish. There's just so much work. Whenever people ask me about writing cookbooks, and I never want to discourage anyone because, you know, if that's what you're passionate about, then do it. But um, when people ask me about writing cookbooks, I I always say, however much work you think it is, multiply it by 100 and you're not there yet. It's just <laughs> so, so much work. Um, but What advice very, do you give people who ask you about writing cookbooks? So that really is my number one advice. I tell them, be realistic. I'm not saying don't write a cookbook, but I'm saying that you should know what you're getting into you should have a better time. Like you should give yourself enough time. Um, I actually saw there was a, a discussion in a Facebook group for cookbook authors. Um, and somebody wrote, I don't remember the details, but something along the lines of after writing your first cookbook, what mistake do you think you made that you would do differently next time? And it was incredible to see how many people wrote that they did it just in too short of a time span. And if they write another cookbook, they would take longer. Um, because again, you think, especially, let's say you're a food blogger and you're used to coming up with recipes all the time. You think like, what's the big deal? It's not so different, but it is. It really, really is. It's a huge difference. And there's- How is it different? Something. How is just making, I mean, cause you put out recipes on your blog pretty regularly. So yeah, how is really. this different from, um, how is, you know, putting it together in a book different from just putting something out in a blog? Okay, so a few things. So firstly, what I just described, like having a well-rounded cookbook takes much more effort. You know, on a blog, I could post five salads in a row and it is what it is. I have unlimited space on my blog. I could literally just keep posting forever and I never run out of space. I might have to pay a little more hosting fees, but it's just endless. And you can't do that with a blog, with a cookbook. You have to really make sure that you have a good, well-rounded balance of recipes. But the other thing is that there was just something very final about a book. You know, they print, I don't know, close to 20,000 copies. You can't just, ha you, you know, if there's mistakes, it's like, it's just very final on your website. You can go back and update it. You can, 
it's just, it's different. And then there's also, obviously with the book, it has to be professional and it has to be, you know, blogs are a little more informal. So there's just so many rounds of editing that like, I think people would be so surprised by, because there are mistakes in every book. There's never going to be a book without a mistake. And Can you tell me one of the mistakes that's in your most recent book? Um, Is there one? Yes, there are a number that we fixed for the reprint. Um, Some of them are a little frustrating. Like one, I don't know how it happened somehow at the very end, um, because earlier printouts didn't have it. Um, There's one recipe. Um, There's one recipe where it calls for maple syrup, but it says maple S-Y and the rest of the word got deleted. I don't know how that happened, but that was really upsetting because it's not even like... I typed that wrong when I typed up the recipe. Even if I had, it wouldn't have been there still. It was just at the very end somehow it was a mistake. So, you know, these things happen and sometimes people get very critical of it, but you don't like, you don't realize how there's like no book without mistakes. Right. It's, just, it's impossible, but you go through so many times there's editing and, you know, they're back and forth with the editor multiple times. And then there's proofreading and we had, I want to say four people proofread the book um it's just it's so intense and then obviously I read it like until I couldn't even read anymore <laughs> Trying <to laughs> until your eyes fell it. out yeah no just till the, the words didn't even mean anything to me anymore right but um it was you know it's just it's very very intense and it's just so much work but it's very very gratifying at the end when it comes out and you're holding that book in your hand and even more so the feedback from people all over the world saying how much they love the recipes and they're making your food. It's so gratifying that it's just, it's like you forget all that, all that stress, all that craziness. It's just all worth it. That's awesome. It sounds that- cliche, but it really, really is the truth. It's the reason I keep going back to writing them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is not your first rodeo. You just published your, well, just would be a strong word, but whatever. Um, your third book, which is More Real Life Kosher Cooking. It's yeah. so good. Thank you. Like, lit, I'm looking now, I just pulled out my supper menu. Three of the recipes are from Ooh, okay. the book. Which recipes? The Spiced Rub Chicken, Okay. which we love. I wrote down our fake name for it, and I don't know what the real, we wrote the good chicken, and I don't know what the real I don't know what the real name that, that is. That makes me worry that there's a bad chicken, though. No, there is not a bad chicken. There are just like there are some things like my husband and I just have a shorthand. It's like, oh, you know, it's it's the good chicken. Um, oh, and then oh, there's another one. Also, the 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 tofu stir fry. Oh, my husband ate and liked tofu. Isn't that amazing? This is, and I happen to really like tofu. This yeah, is the too. best tofu that I've ever had. The, I know like, that it's like hands a down. ingredient, but um, I wanted to include it because I like tofu and I don't like fish. So, you know. Right. I like, and I, like I did, the first time I made it, I made it with chicken. Oh. Um, I made it, meaning I made yeah. it with both. Like I made chicken on the side so that he could have the chicken because I was like, there's no way he's eating tofu. this tofu. So I just like grilled up chicken on the side easy and then made it for myself with the tofu, which by the way, I like tofu and I've never made tofu that way before with like all of the marinating and everything makes a big right. difference. Yeah. Cause tofu is just kind of like, a. it's nothing like you have to spice it. It tastes yeah. like nothing. And then it, but it, the beauty of that is that it like takes on whatever you put to it. Right. And then it's like all these amazing flavors. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. And then when, I, so I made him the chicken version 
like did the chicken on the side i added in the tofu he added in the chicken next thing i know he's eating all my tofu i was like get out of here this is mine (laughs) so yeah that's that's what goes on in my house at least (laughs) i'm kind of curious about the good chicken though the good oh i'm you know what i'm gonna look it up i'm gonna include it in the show notes describe it to me it's the it's oh it's one of the ones that you do with like all just like the tossing it in the sauce and i can't remember what's in the sauce the blueberry chicken no not the blueberry chicken smoky maple chicken yes smoky that maple one chicken. yeah yeah the smoking yeah it's the smoky maple it's really good right it is so good and it so is it's an origin story for that one please okay so i it was a sunday afternoon um late morning i would say and i decided <laughs> spur of the moment i said you know what i'm gonna invite my whole family for a barbecue today like now for lunch come now so i went to the grocery and i bought a bunch of stuff and i came home and i had like an you know a big family and a lot of different dietary requirements and such so i i I always make a lot of different things to make sure that everybody can have something that they like whatever because between allergies and and preferences and health restrictions and whatever there's like some always something that somebody can't eat so I make tons of things so I put a whole ton of things and I said you know what I'm just gonna stick them all in a bag and I'm gonna make a quick marinade for each one and then like I'll have it all ready to go so I just like dump stuff in and everyone went crazy over this particular chicken um I made these drumsticks and I was like well I guess I better try to figure out what I put in those (laughs) so um yeah, See, this was, is the difference like, between you and I. You dump some, you dump a bunch of stuff in a bag, <laughs> and it comes out amazing. And I dump a bunch of stuff in a bag, and we end up having going out for pizza for supper. <laughs> That's the difference between yeah. you and me. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, not not every time is it does it turn into a recipe, but um, you know, it's a nice it's a nice bonus when you like throw a few things together, and it's so good that everybody is like, yeah. Yep, this is a thing. Let's 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 make that a thing. This was such a fascinating behind the scenes of how something like a huge project, like a cookbook, comes together. This was super fun. Um, what I want to end off with, and what I want to know from you, Miriam, is in in your work, in your life, in the way that you move through the world, in the way that you put things together. What does it mean to you to make an impact? Okay, um, that's a very good question. Um, well, I'm going to first give you my joke response, if you don't mind, please, <laughs> which is that I'm, I've been educating people on, um, the fact that you really should not be using disposable pans to bake. <laughs> <laughs> and every time someone tells me that they, that I've converted them, they no longer use disposable sheet pans. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Made a difference in the world. Can I just say that I am part of that club? Oh, okay. I, I own two real baking sheets because of you. Thank you. Thank you. You just made my day. Uh, so <laughs> in, in a joking sense, but only kind of joking, I really, that, that like really just makes me happy because it me, I'm really, I'm teaching people to cook better than they were cooking before, which leads me to my, to my, um, my serious answer, which is really, it's not even so much about, about the recipes in the cookbooks and whatnot it's just like when I get feedback from people all over the world that tell me like I mean you know somebody literally one time told me that like I 
made her marriage better because her husband likes my food so much. And I was like, wow, this is a stranger. And I was able to do that for her. So people all over the world will make my recipes. They will, you know, it's just like I become part of their lives. Like I'm by, by sharing my food with them, I'm able to, you know, be on their, their holiday tables, their Shabbos tables, be part of their lives and even their regular everyday lives. But if I'm able to make someone's life easier because they're able to get a quick, healthy dinner on the table for their family, to me, that's just incredible that I'm able to do that to people all over the world and that I'm able to reach people through my food. Um, because I don't think food is, is just about like, oh, this is delicious, but it really, there's like nourishment there and there's, there's something about it that like it connects people. And I feel that it's just such a privilege that I'm able to have people all over the world, like connecting to me through the food that I'm sharing with them. That sounds incredible. Like, seriously, that's amazing. Um, can you remind me again why the, the baking sheets are better? Cause I forgot. Of course. Um, so it's all about heat conduction. Oh no, so, this is science. Okay, go. Well, no, I mean, if you, if you're using a disposable baking sheet, when you take it out of the oven within like 20 seconds, you can hold it and it's not, it's not hot. If you use a real baking sheet, 20 seconds after you take it out of the oven, it will you're burn, you. burn yourself if you touch it. And the thing is that, um, that super hot surface is cooking your food better. So when you're using, when we're talking about, let's say roasting vegetables, if you want to get that nice caramelization, when you do it on a, on a real metal pan, that is that, heat conduction is giving you that better caramelization, but it's for other types of, of baking pens, it makes a huge difference as well. For example, if you have, um, you know, if you're baking cupcakes, the heat conduction of having the batter in the metal cups versus in these thin disposable cups um, means that the cupcakes are taking longer to bake in the disposable. Um, similarly, you know, with, um, I mean, bunk cakes and I mean, in general, things take longer to cook and they just don't caramelize as nicely when you're using um, disposable. See, we all learned something today, along with a whole ton of other things. Thank you so much for coming on today, Miriam. This was so Thanks super fun. Me. Thanks for listening. You can find Miriam at OvertimeCook.com and on Instagram at OvertimeCook. Both of those are linked in the show notes, which you can access by swiping up on the cover art. To hear more episodes, subscribe or head over to impactfashionnyc.com slash blog slash podcast. While you're there, check out what's new in the world of size-inclusive modest fashion. If you enjoyed this episode and want to help more people hear it, take a second to leave a quick rating or review. It makes a big difference and makes me so happy. The episode art was designed by Michelle Moses, original music composed by Nissan Fetman. This episode was produced and hosted by me, Rifki Edskowitz. Catch me on Instagram and Facebook at impact.fashion.nyc. As always, here's to making an impact together.